There is an unseen hand to me that leads Welcome to the Unseen Hand Podcast, featuring the pulpit ministry of missionary evangelist Ronnie Brown. Listen in as Brother Ronnie shares the truth of the Bible and how God's unseen hand can lead and guide your life with each and every verse. This hand still leads me as I go. If you have your Bibles, I want you to take them to Mark's Gospel, chapter number 15. Mark's Gospel, chapter number 15. As we have been in these days on Sunday morning looking at the week of Jesus' passion, the week of his suffering, we have come to the place of the cross. I had I thought I had lined it up to where every Sunday would lead up to Easter, but somehow I got messed up. So we're going to go straight in from tonight into Wednesday. Wednesday we'll look at the day of Jesus' burial in the tomb and what it means to us as part of that suffering. And then on Easter Sunday we'll look at His resurrection as far as that part of this Passion Week and the victory of the empty tomb. So tonight we take our second look at a day of meditation. Oftentimes when you read the Gospel accounts, many of them are salted with slight variations, very similar in the recordings of the Gospel scene. But oftentimes I'm looking for, particularly in this situation, Something that's very direct and to the point. And Mark's gospel is that. It's very brief. It's very direct. And it's telling of the gospel account. But I believe tonight it holds everything that we need to look at. Of course, there's a lot we could look at. And all the events that take place. Even after the end of Jesus' uh, condemnation before Pilate and, and before the Sanhedrin and before the crowd that day. There's even more we could look at. But for, God, for, uh, for a concise view of what takes place on the cross, I want to go back to Mark's gospel. So if you have your Bible, Mark 15 and look at verse 15. And if you would, please stand out of honor and reverence to the precious Word of God. Mark 15 And verse number 15, we'll read down through verse number 39. Mark chapter 15 and verse 15. So Pilate, willing to consent the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium. And they called together the whole band. They clothed him with purple and planted a crown of thorns and put it about his head and began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews! They smote him on the head with a reed and did spit upon him and bowing their knees worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him and put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. And they compel one Simon of Cyrene, uh, Simon a Cyrenian, who passed by, uh, by coming out of his of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. And they bring him unto the place Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of a skull. And they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. 
And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the superscription of his accusation was written over the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two thieves, one on his right hand and the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others himself, he cannot save. Let Christ the King of Israel descend now from the cross that, he may, that we may see and believe. And they were crucified. And they that were crucified with Him reviled Him. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood by when they had heard it said, Behold, he calleth Elias. And one ran and filled the sponge with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave it him to drink, saying, Let him alone. Let us see whether Elias will come and take him down. Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to the bottom. And when the centurion which stood over against, against him Saw that he saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost. He said, "Truly, this man was the Son of God." You can be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer again. We look at the second part of this day—a day of mediation, a day when Jesus gives a mediator a, 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 a position in his life. There is one mediator, 1 Timothy tells us, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And here he is mediating this. Here he is taking the hand of a holy God and taking the hand of sinful men and bringing them together. He is making a way of unification, a way of access to God by this cross. Let us look at this final portion of a day of mediation. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. We are absolutely dependent upon you. God, if there is any spiritual work that is to be done in this room, if blinded eyes are to be opened, if hearts are to be healed, if lives are to fall prostrate before you and in servitude, Father, it will be done by your Spirit. It won't be done by my voice. It won't be done by my oration. It won't be done with my words. It'll be done by the power and the Spirit of God. Oh God, speak to hearts. Oh God, crucify afresh before our eyes the Lord Jesus Christ. May we see Him evidently crucified before us tonight. Let us see what price, what love, what great price Jesus paid for us. And God, let our hearts bubble over with glory and praise unto you. Let our hearts well with tears into our eyes and thanksgiving for what you have done. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen and amen. In the archaeological dig of the ancient city of Pompeii that was overtaken by the explosion of Mount Vesuvius, an ancient sample of crude graffiti was found preserved on a wall.
the graffiti was a cartoonish figure of a man with the head of a donkey affixed to a cross. Before the cross was a figure of a man kneeling with the words of ridicule and anexamines worships his God. Evidently, some pagan was taunting the devotion of Ananexamese to the, to the Lord Jesus who clearly had died on the cross for his sins. Even today, thousands year, years later, the cross still is misrepresented and misunderstood. It is not a fashion accessory. It's not a good luck charm. It's not an emblem of piety. It is, it is as John MacArthur wrote, proof of both the immense love of God and the profound wickedness of sin. It is the line of demarcation between the lost and the found, between the perishing and the saved, between the condemned and the forgiven. The cross of Jesus Christ on which He died in these hours hours, is far more than we could explain in the moments we have together tonight. We can conclude that through the whole counsel of God's Word, What all that Peter and John and the gospel writers and Paul said of this moment, it was a a play, it was in that moment Jesus was the fulfillment of all the shadows and sketches of what God had revealed in the old covenant with its sacrifices and rituals, with its priests and altars, here before the eyes of men, God was fulfilling His plan from the very dawn of creation. The redemption, the reconciliation of a holy God to sinful man by the death of His Son. By the blood-stained cross aloft on Calvary's brow, and its pale owner, uh, own, and its owner pale with death, God was opening up a new and living way. Hebrews nine twelve says, "Neither by the blood of goats or of calves, but by Christ's own blood, He entered in once." into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. This is holy ground. This is the place where the new covenant was being mediated. A bridge of access between the guilty, sinful man and a righteous and holy God. In a word, this is mediation. As we look upon the cross in these verses and and attempt to shed light on its wonders, let us look closely at a few of the breathtaking facets of redeeming grace we find at the cross. I want you to notice, first of all, how demeaning were the soldiers. How demeaning were the soldiers during the deliberation uh, of, of Pilate, Jesus had Pilate had had Jesus scourged. He was making up his mind what he would do with this man from Galilee. And as he began, as he was making his decision, he sent Jesus to be scourged. The scriptures mention it almost in passing. It was a horrifying punishment. 
Many that were sentenced to die on the cross never made it past the scourging uh, in the in the hall. You see, uh, dying instead at the whipping post. The victim of scourging would be stripped of their clothing, would be tied on against a pillar, stretching the skin of the back as tight as possible. Then two men, burly Roman soldiers, would clasp in their hands short whips with nine braided lengths of leather. Inside the braided leather would be pieces of bone and of glass and of metal. As they would strike the body, they would literally flay the body. The skin and the flesh would open up in mutilation. It is reported that people who have endured this kind of mutilation, that as a result, the bones and their vital organs were visible to the naked eye. You see, it was a wonder that with all Jesus had endured just previously, in the Garden of Gethsemane where the weight of sin was placed on his shoulders and his sweat became as great drops of blood. It is a wonder that Jesus even endured this prior to the crucifixion. You see, uh, Jesus was turned over then to a Roman detail. Our first verse says that after Pilate had him scourged, he turned them over to be crucified. This would be a regiment of detail, uh, uh, a regiment that was charged with the detail of executing people. These were coarse and cruel soldiers gathered together there. It said in verse number 16, the soldiers led him uh, away. No, it said, uh, it said, led him away into the hall, and they called the praetorium, and they called the whole Band together. The word band here is the same word used to describe the soldiers that were marched out to get Jesus out of the Garden of Gethsemane. It could be anywhere between 500 and 600 soldiers that joined in this mockery, mocking occasion in this, in this hall of the garrison. These soldiers may have heard that G of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. They may have heard their leader Pontius Pilate refer to Jesus. Look at your King of the Jews. Whatever it was that tipped them off, it is that theme of being a king that incited their ridicule. Behold your King. You see, a king must have a crown, shouldn't he? They gave him a thorn-woven wreath and thrust it upon his brow. Every king needs a robe. They thrust upon his shoulders some gaudy military garment. Every king must have, every king must have a scepter. They clasped within his hand a reed that they had just taken and beaten his head with. Every king needs an anointing. These men would clear the depths of their throat and empty them on the precious brow of the Lord Jesus. Every king needs homage. They with their breath filled with liquor fell down in hilarity and worship mocking hell king of the Jews. What a humiliation. What a humiliation moment. 
the King of glory, who by Him, Paul said, all things consist. The very atoms and nucleus and molecules of this universe are held by the power of Jesus. And He has become the butt of the joke of hundreds of men laughing and gawking at Him. How demeaning were the soldiers. How dreadful was the sentence. The sentence was crucifixion. The destination was Golgotha. Notice we find in our text that um, when they had compelled Simon to carry his cross, Jesus being too weak to even carry the cross, it says in verse number 22, they bring him unto the place Golgotha, the word literally means the place of a skull. It is not uh, determined whether it is because the place actually looks, that cliff, the rock crevice where this is, actually looks with, like a skull with, uh, with uh, empty eye sockets and a, and a grinning rocky teeth. Or was it just simply a place of death? Littered with the bones and skulls of former victims of uh, capital punishment. Whatever the thing is, and however, either way it was, it was the site of the dreadful sentence of crucifixion. Look at verse number 24. And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments and cast lots upon them, what every man should take. And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. The whole scene is a dreadful, shrieking horror with cries and laughter in the background. Soldiers would gamble at the foot of the cross and and push each other to grab the little remnants of Jesus' life. Mothers would cry in agony. Victims would plead and spit and scream. Notice Mark's few words simply, and they crucified And they crucified Him. It seems as though the Holy Spirit of God takes, uh, uh, uses the gospel pens of the writers to simply veil over the grotesque details of Jesus' crucifixion. Maybe it is to prevent us from worshiping the suffering of Jesus rather than the saving of Jesus. I have failed my objective tonight. If all you see is a man suffering on a cross in misery. Notice verse number 26. And the superscription of his accusation was written over the king of the Jews. In the midst of all the madness and the screams and the scowls, the spitting and the, and the, uh, the lacerations, we find this one banner of truth reigning over all. He is the King of the Jews. As a matter of fact, He is King of kings and Lord of lords. Verse number 27, And with Him they crucified two thieves, one on His right, hand and the other on his left 
on either side of Jesus in order to make him look more of a criminal. I believe this to be uh, the device and the plan of the Sanhedrin to put criminals on either side of Jesus to make him seem as though he too was a criminal. Either side of him were these robbers, these, these criminals that had been arrested. And they themselves, in verse number 32, they themselves hurled the accusations into Jesus' teeth. In Luke's gospel, we're given a little bit more of the account of these two thieves. Do you remember this story of how that these thieves started out casting their accusations in Jesus' teeth, but along the line somewhere, we're not exactly sure where, whether it was the suffering, whether it was the compassionate prayer of Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, whether it was the plea of water, whether it was when He said, Son, Mother, look on thy son, Son, look on thy mother, whatever it was, He had a change of heart. He cries out, remember me when thou enterest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. One went to hell from the cross. One went to heaven from the cross. Oh, we see those that are represented beside here. One died in his ridicule and sin. The other died forgiven with Jesus in paradise. But this crucifixion company, we find Jesus numbered among the transgressors. Uh, Mark makes it clear of its fulfillment and its, and its importance. In verse number 28, And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, And he was numbered with the transgressors. Just as Isaiah had foretold, Isaiah 53, 12, He was numbered with the transgressors and bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. As with the gambling of the garments. Psalm twenty-two, eighteen. David wrote, Centuries and eons before, they part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. All the fulfillment of prophecy ringing in the ears of these uh, of these uh, people standing around the cross brings it an eerie significance. There's more to this scene than just a peasant preacher dying. There's more to this scene than a man merely swept up in a social revolution. This is God dying for man. This is the Lamb sacrificed. From the foundation of the world, this is Jesus dying. Oh, what a dreadful sentence. The sentence of, of, of crucifixion. Also, oh, how demoralizing their statements. How demoralizing their statements. In verse number 29, And they passed by, railed on Him, wagging their heads and saying, All thou that destroys the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down now from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking and said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others Himself. He cannot save. If it were not bad enough, all of the agonizing pain and the suffering of the nails of the of the of the of the thorns upon the brow of all that was going on in that moment, here we find we find Jesus enduring the piercing ridicule of gawking eyes and stabbing tongues. In the hour of mockery, Jesus' ability was demeaned. You say you're the Son of God. 
You say you are the Messiah. Come down from the cross. Do some miracle and we will believe on you. They demeaned the miraculous power of Jesus. Even witnessing this, this, you know, many of them even witnessed this miracle. This miracle working power. Many of them uh, had seen Jesus work miracles. His ability was limitless. His miracle working power was without end. He could turn water into wine. He could walk upon the raging seas. He could take the most meager meal and feed a multitude. He could open blinded eyes. He could cleanse the skin of lepers. He could cause the dead to stir and rise up and live again. And yet they say, if you are the Son of God, use your power to come down from the cross. I tell you, his ability had not waned one iota. He could have called legions of angels and they could have escorted him down from that cruel cross and he could be enthroned in glory and every one of us be doomed and damned to the depths of hell and the angel still plays, praise his name and sing his glory through all eternity. But because of his love for you, because of what what you mean to Him because of His great love for fallen humanity. Jesus did not come down from the cross. He refused their command to come from the cross. He suffered. Instead, He learned obedience through the suffering on the cross. Look at verse number 30. Likewise, the chief priest mocking and said themselves with the scribes and Pharisees, he saved others himself. He cannot say. You see, had he not, had he not come, he had not come to save himself. Jesus had not come to serve himself. Mark 10, 45, even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. He came to stay on the cross, not come down from it. One author said Calvary was no accident of history. It was no invention of the devil, nor an afterthought of God. Golgotha was a divine appointment. It was not an accident. It was not happenstance. This was the will and the plan of God. Acts 23, Acts 2.23, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and the foreknowledge of God ye have taken and by wicked hands crucified and slain. Look at verse number 32. Let the Jesus, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe, and they that were crucified with Him reviled Him. He was Messiah. He was the King of glory. While they lashed out in anger and wagged their tongues in scoffing rude, He was mediating on their behalf. He was making salvation known in their behalf. The truth be known, if you'll read the book of Acts, it states that many of the priestly kind, many of the priests came and believed on Jesus 
There may well have been some in this scene that were mocking and crudely ridiculing the Christ the Savior and months and weeks to come would bow their knee receiving that same mediation. While they cursed Him, while they ridiculed Him, He still loved them. He still died for them. David, I think often of those years when I didn't know the Lord, when I sat with cynical view and looked at preachers and looked at men of God with cynicism, looked with them with doubt, oh, I've heard it all. Oh, but that glad day when even though I was a reviler, even though I was a mocker of Christ, thank God, He died for me. He died for me. He shed His blood for me. Oh, thank God for what He did there on the cross. While they lashed out in anger and ridicule, He was in His great love reconciling them to God by His blood. Bearing sin and shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned He stood. One author writes, All His suffering was not designed to arouse our pity, but to assure us of the extent of His love. Jesus is not looking for you to pity Him tonight. Jesus is not looking for you to look upon the cross and shed tears of sorrow over what have come to Him. He wants you to look at the cross and see the great love where we have loved you and dying for you on that cross. Oh, what love the Father has bestowed upon us. Oh, what love the Father has shown on Calvary's cross. How demoralizing the statements made to Jesus. How dreadful the scene in the sentence of crucifixion. How demeaning were the soldiers that mocked Him. Finally, how dramatic were the signs. How dramatic were the signs. Things, odd things begin to take place. In verse number 33, And when the sixth hour was come, There was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. During Jesus' ministry, the Jews had often come to Him asking for a sign. Give us a sign. Give us a sign. Give us a sign. Oh, He said that Jesus had responded once, they'll not be given a sign save the sign of Jonah. As Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, so must the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth, uh, be in the uh, other parts of the earth three days and three nights. But do you want a sign? Do you really want a sign? How dramatic are the signs at, found at Calvary? When he was born, God took a new star and hung it in the sky. When he died, God momentarily put out an old old star out of the sky. This was no mere eclipse lasting no longer than a few minutes at best. But these were three long hours. In the afternoon, men groped in darkness. Well might the sun in darkness hide and shut His glories in. When Christ the mighty Maker died, the man for creatures sin. Verse number 34, in the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus 
makes this cry and he quotes Psalm 21 and verse number 1, the, the psalm written by his father David. God in that moment was forsaking His only begotten Son. For the past 33 and a half years, there was never one moment in which Jesus did not enjoy the rich fellowship and perfect union with His Father. He was untainted by sin. But in these three hours of darkness, God Himself turned His back on His Son. He was alienated from Him because of the blackness and the darkness and the stain of our sin. You see, Jesus was taken as that scapegoat in the Old Testament. You do know the story. On the Day of Atonement, there was not lambs that came. They brought two goats. Two goats were brought there. They cast lots upon the goats. One goat was to be have its throat slit and blood placed upon the altar. It was to be sacrificed and burned up on the altar as an atonement for the sin of the people. The other goat was to be tied up and led as far as possible from the camp so that there is no way it could ever find its way there. And that man was to, to leave that animal, to wander in that wilderness and die. Rejected. Forsaken. That's what's happening. In this moment, in the blackness and darkness of the even the afternoon sky, when men were groping around in darkness, God had forsaken His Son. God, because He was bearing your sin and my sin, God turned His back on His Son. God, in that instant, Jesus was bearing our sin, all of it in those darkness. It is here that Christ was being made sin for us. Galatians 3.13 Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. He became the curse for you. Notice verse number 35 And some of them that stood by when they heard it beheld he calleth for Elias. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink, saying, Let him alone. Let us see whether Elias will come and take him down. There is some confusion at this point. Uh, People do not recognize the words that Jesus said in the Hebrew language. And so they assume that he's calling for Elijah. It's confusion in this moment. It's chaos. Look at verse number 27. Excuse me, verse number 37. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. We know from John's gospel that this crying with a loud voice was the words, It is finished to telestar. These are words of victory. These are words of success. These are words of completion. These are words of fulfillment and perfection. Jesus had completed the task He was sent to do. It is finished, is His cry. Oh, And then He breathed out His life said that he gave up the ghost. Other gospel accounts tell us that he breathed out. He exhaled his life. He said the truth of the matter is whip Jesus a thousand times with a cat of nine tails. 
crucify him on a million crosses. He could not die. Jesus told Pilate, and, uh, I believe it was Jesus told Pilate, that no man taketh my life. I lay it down and I take it up again. You see, the wages of sin is death. He had no sin. He had no violation. Therefore, he of himself could not die. He simply dismissed his life. I've read of a lot of circumstances where people have died trying to save someone else. Whether they jumped in the water. I think of the story of Dawson Trotman, a, a very special figure in history, and church history in my heart. He was a disciple in the Navy in World War II. Dawson Trotman was a, a great disciple, a great man of God. As someone was drowning in a conference where they would often reside, I think it was in Wisconsin, and Dawson Trotman dove in to try to save this person. And in doing so, both of them drowned. Dawson Trotman no doubt willingly endangered his life for them, but he did not dismiss his life for them. Something else took it. Water filled his lungs and he died. Others have died on battlefields, not of themselves, not of exhaling their own, their own body, their own life. Here Jesus gives his own life. He dismissed his spirit. What a sign. What a sign. Look in verse number 38. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom. The veil of the temple long had stood as a separation between a holy God and a sinful man. In the dealings in the economy of God where the sacrificial system was, this was only allowed to be entered one time a year and that by one person a year. Blood was to be sprinkled one time a year for the Passover, for the rolling over of sins upon the next year. No one was allowed in that room. God, in effect, was saying, I am holy. You are sinful. Stay out. Unless you have the blood of the sacrifice, stay out. But on that great day when Jesus died on that cross, and He exhaled His breath and His lifeless body hang on them nails. God took the separation between God and man and rent it in twain. And whereas in the past He said, stay out. Today there is a new and living way and where God says, come on in. Come to Me. Come to Me all you that are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. There is a new and living way. And now, where once there was only separation, now there is invitation. Verse number 39. When the centurion, the most wonderful miracle of all, when the centurion which stood over against him saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. No doubt this was a centurion on a detail that was specifically designed to make sure that men were dead. The killing of men surgically every day on crosses. He knew what it was for men to die. He knew what it was for them to spit and to, and to bleed and to pull and to wiggle and to scream in agony. He had never seen a moment like this. Where a man stood there, whether it was the way in which he spoke 
to his mother. And whether it was the way he called upon his father, whatever it was about him, was it, was it the, the, dark, the, uh, the darkness of the, of the afternoon sky, whether it was the trembling of the, round, the ground, Matthew's gospel tells us that the earth shook and the rocks rent. It was an earthquake. The ground shook beneath his feet. The sky was darkened. Jesus is crying on the cross and he exhales his life like no man he has ever seen. He deduces He distills out of that moment the greatest truth. Surely, this man was the Son of God. A jaw-dropping moment in which all the Sanhedrin has probably got as big as silver dollars. This man was the Son of God. They had murdered their Messiah. Oh, a day of mediation. How demeaning were the soldiers. How dreadful was the sentence. How demoralizing were the statements. How dramatic were the signs. If you'll recall, the great preacher John Newton wrote the hymn Amazing Grace that we often sing in our churches. But he wrote a number of other songs Some not as familiar. But I want to read you some of one of his songs and bear with me for the length of the quote. But listen intently. In evil long I took delight unawed by shame or fear till a new object struck my sight and stopped my wild career. I saw one hanging on a tree in agonies and blood. He fixed his languid eyes on me as near his cross I stood. Sure, never till my last breath shall I forget that look. It seemed to charge me with his death, though not a word he spoke. The second look he gave, which said, I freely all forgive. This blood is is thy ransom paid. I died that thou mayst live. Thus while his death my sin displays in all its blackest hue, such is the mystery of grace. He seals my pardon too. In this black darkness of sin, Where Jesus gave the ultimate sacrifice on the cross. He seals a way of redemption. He seals a mediation. He reaches out to your heart tonight. Your sin-filled heart. Your rebellious heart. And He extends a hand to God and willing to reconcile the truth. If ye would only believe. If ye would only trust. Oh, blessed cross. Oh, blessed cross. Thank God. Jesus made a way. Made a way. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we stand to our feet. And Sister Delcy and Brother Kevin come. A single moment of invitation. Let us humble our hearts before the, before the cross tonight. Let us see Him anew and afresh. Let us see His great love in which He endured such suffering and shame. Oh, blessed cross.
Oh, blessed sepulcher. Oh, blessed wonder that is Jesus dying for me. It seals my pardon. It shows my sin. Would you not come and know Him today in saving faith? Would you not believe upon this Savior that died for you and endured the punishment of the cross in your stead? I guarantee you this was not merely a man caught up in a social revolution. For three days later after his death, he appeared again alive. Touch my hands. See that I'm alive. He ate fish, ate honeycomb, sat among his disciples, taught them of the things to come, fellowshiped with them. This man lives. God moved the stone and he was alive and is alive today and coming again. Be reconciled to Christ. God has made a way. He's mediated a path in which you can be made right with God. Why not be right with God today? You come. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you this evening. We pray that Jesus will be glorified and magnified in our midst. God, touch hearts. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. Kevin, it's on you. 326, softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. If you're here this evening and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, come. Come. If you'd like to just worship, clear off a spot and worship the Lord Jesus, you come. I'm trusting to the unseen hand. We hope and pray that today's episode of the Unseen Hand podcast has been a help and blessing to you. For more information such as other podcasts, ministry helps, blog posts, previous sermons, or how to contact Brother Brown directly, just go to RonnieBrown.net. Join us next time for another message from Brother Ronnie on the Unseen Hand podcast. Until then, may God's unseen hand gently guide you on your journey home. The Unseen Hand.